Come on. Yeah, so the number one difference-making tip is to focus on what's working in your business and repeat that again and again and find the things that aren't working and don't. And the example for that in my business, you know, when I was building my blog, I thought I was going to be like the next Pat Flynn or, you know, one of those huge name guys. You know, I know Pat. He's like an amazing, genuine, cool guy. But you know, obviously, if you look at personal profitabilities, income reports, and you look at smart passive incomes, income reports, I'm missing a zero <laughs> that Pat has. Uh, so, so obviously, that wasn't what was working for me. But what I did notice um, from going to a conference every year called FinCon, it's a financial blogging and media conference. I've been to all of them. I love it. It's it, it that conference changed my life. I would not be here today if it were not for that conference. Uh, but along the way, um, it was some companies that go to that conference started to notice my blog and said, "Hey, Eric, we like what you're doing. We like what you're writing. Uh, uh, you know, you're educated. You have an MBA. Would you like to write for our blog? We'll pay you." I thought, you know, sure, you <laughs> pay me. I'll write whatever you want. That sounds awesome, and uh, and that's what was working in my business. It wasn't. You know, my blog and podcast do fine. You know, they make they make some money there. You know, they make way more than most blogs because most blogs make nothing. You know, blogging is not a get rich quick scheme for sure. It's, it's a it's a maybe you'll make a few dollars over the long haul scheme and a few people make a lot of money. Uh, so um, but, but when I was working on that, you know, I, I saw freelancing is where the money is coming from for me. So that's where I started to focus. And had I not done that. I'd probably still be working in gray cubicles. I'd probably still be making, you know, I'd probably make what, you know, five, $10,000 a year online, which is great. You know, that's not, I'm not going to knock that. That's not pocket change. That's, that could be life changing money for people. Um, but you know, at this point I make 10,000 a month online and that would not have happened had I not focused on what was working, even though it wasn't what I expected to work or what I planned to work. It's what was working. So that that's what I repeated. You know, I'm just going to stay with saving is a great habit. I thought, you know, it's a, it's a great question. Uh, for me, it's one I reflected on for about a year before I got uh, into this area. I thought to myself, if there was only one tip that I could give either an adult or a child that they could understand and take action on that would make a difference in their life, what would it be? And I really kind of concluded that it was pay yourself first. And I translated that into saving is a great habit because – uh, when you think about it, if you're making a habit of saving, you're doing it automatically, you're doing it weekly or, or, or bi-weekly, and you say, uh, essentially you're, you're paying uh, yourself first, you're, you're building up your economic preparedness, you're building up your financial uh, future, and as you mentioned earlier, it's a great springboard to then go into uh, you know, in, investing. So saving is a great habit. That's my difference maker. Okay, so if you only do one thing and you want to get out of debt, it is this. You should only spend money that you already have. So that means that if you're going to get paid on Friday and you want to buy something on the Monday before you and you don't have the money, you wait till Friday till you have the money. You don't think, oh, I'm going to get paid because... <laughs> We know, you know, you may not get paid. Who knows how the world works? But if you already, if you only spend money you already have, you're not going to go deeper into debt and you will gradually be able to get out of debt as you continue to pay your existing debts down. Educating yourself on your rules and responsibilities under ERISA. 
right? And second is outsource your fiduciary responsibility to a third party, right? And there's some great tools. And if you want me to get into that, I can talk to you about a little bit about what we do and what's out in the industry to help you do that type of stuff. Well, you know, the the first, uh, the most important thing I would say is is to be educated. And educated doesn't mean that you have to do everything yourself. It means taking an interest in what's going on and learning. It's study after study after study after study shows that those who take an active role in their finances and who read and who learn, and, and now today you don't even need to read if you don't like reading, you can watch YouTube videos ad nauseum, but those who, you know, those who take pride and ownership of their financial lives have better outcomes at the end. And it may not mean that you make one more decision on your own. It could be that you still utilize a professional um, tax preparer, a professional financial advisor, a professional estate planning attorney, but it means you will be able to ask those professionals better questions. You will be able to understand their guidance more accurately. You'll be able to implement the plan more accurately. And so getting educated, you know, some people may uh, discount that as, well, yeah, anybody could say that, but it is truly the one thing that separates so many of the successful people I meet from those that just are not quite as successful in their planning. And they may be given the same advice and be in the same circumstances, but one person is just able to understand it and implement it better because they've taken a little bit more time to learn about what, you don't have to be an expert, but you should understand why you're doing and what you're doing. And it makes all the difference in the world. Well, I mean, I think it's what we've been talking about. I mean, this is what I uh, this is what I talk about all the time, which is, you know, every every weakness has a corresponding strength. Be yourself. Don't try to meet everyone else's expectations. See those things that are unique about you. What my phrase from uh, speaking is what makes us weird also makes us wonderful. And what makes us weak also makes us strong. And I think if uh, as parents, as managers, as partners, um, as uh, employees and entrepreneurs, if we really saw that um, our weaknesses were also strengths, if we saw that other people's weaknesses were also strengths, if we had that awareness, acceptance, and appreciation, if we allowed ourselves and others to amplify and align, um, that's where we'd see the, the greatest success. And it would end up, it does end up hitting the, the bottom line. Um, it does end up people who are doing what they love, doing what they're passionate about, instead of grinding through tasks they'd rather procrastinate, are the ones who make a better living, who have a better life. They don't just have more money, they have more happiness and fulfillment to go along with it. I want to just offer an example of one of the Everyday 52 practices, because um, each person I think that's listening to this is probably going to be able to relate to it and probably relate to it a little bit differently. But um, one of the aces in the deck is uh, the ace of spades is uh, to breathe. So breath, you think about breath for a second. And if you just, uh, even just take an inhale and then exhale it and then take another one and really be with your breath for a second. If you were to stop and take three good deep breaths once an hour, every hour or every four hours, whatever you could do, I think that you would find that, um, your relationship with breath has everything to do with how you show up in any moment. So most of us forget to breathe if we're stressed or things feel overwhelming um, or scary. Um, it's, it's, we can breathe really shallowly. And just to connect with breath 
not in the sort of yoga practice kind of way, but really just to remember to breathe, there's something right there that uh, can get the foundation right back underneath you in any given moment. So I don't, uh, I don't, I don't mean to say I think people aren't breathing, but I think people aren't breathing. And that's a practice. I always tell people that financial success isn't magic. It's engineering. And so I'm a big believer in building systems and processes that are going to limit those undesirable behaviors that make us human. And so my big tip is to automate your finances. You know, I talk about carefully crafting a plan, whether that's through a reverse budget that focuses less on your spending, but more how much do you need to save every month and then automating that because keeping your long-term goals in mind at all times requires a lot of willpower and effort. But if you get a process in place that replaces those uh, temptations, then you can consistently make progress towards the goals you want. Well, uh, it's a great question. I love the question, George. Uh, uh, I really do. And I don't think my tip will be all that uh, surprising is Anything that you value in life, anything that you value in life, you will try to support or advocate on behalf of or pursue in one way or another. And the more you value something, the more you will do that, the more you will nurture that. And that's so fundamentally important to how you buy things and how you invest. And if you want to have a healthier and happier world, pick the three things that make you super happy. Bicycling, advancing women. Uh, gun control, the three things that you think are going to make you happy in life, trust those values to guide what you do as an economic being. Um, well, yeah, I was going to say um, gratitude journaling. Whenever I knew this was going to be a question, it was going to come up some sort. And, you know, I think if I had a difference making tip, I actually would take that one step further. And so one thing that we ask you to journal or think about every day is one thing that you're grateful for about your body. Um, it takes gratitude journaling to kind of like that next level level where I feel like that lofty plays a really important part is like our job isn't just to be like grateful for the things we have, but the things that we are. And so I think so many times in our society and culture, we're so focused on what's wrong with the way I look. Um, what's wrong with the way I feel. And sometimes until you lose those capabilities or those um, attributes, do you not appreciate them? I mean, think about it. When you're sick, like, have you ever said to yourself, like, oh, my gosh, like, I'll never complain about, like, like I just want to breathe, right? <laughs> like, yes. Um, but we, and we feel better, and then we go on about our life, right? And so it's the same way when it comes to our physical body. So I really ask that people, like, when you think about your gratitude, you know, if you're thinking about three things you're grateful for, make one of those something that you are just physically grateful for about your body. It might just be like that, like some people are injured and can't do certain things, but you can still find something you're grateful for. You know, I think if there's anything I've learned in the past 10 years in business, you know, is we will go through ups and downs when it comes to our emotional health, our physical health. Um, but if we're not focused on what we're capable of, and just focus on the negative, it will dramatically change the direction of our lives. And so I, I would just challenge people to think maybe right now, like what is one thing that you're super grateful for? Maybe it's, you know, the ability to, to run and play with your kids, or maybe it's the ability to, you know, do a push-up that you couldn't do, you know, two years ago. What is it that your body can do that you're grateful for? Because we may not always have that capability.
My difference-making tip, gosh, we've talked about it already so much, and that's making certain that you're doing everything to um, create financial peace and resiliency today. So it's like looking at yourself, how do you spend money, how, how much is what I call um, thoughtful spending versus thoughtless spending, and then making certain you're setting money aside to to take care of yourself should something happen and you can no longer do what you're doing or putting money aside so that you can make a transition should the world not deliver what you want and you need to make a career change. A difference-making tip is to do the research online, even if you don't think you need anything, do the research online to see where you are in, in your family life, in your career life, in your business life. Look to see what all the various options are, and then once you've done the research online, start reaching out to the various sources that you've discovered, whether that's an agent, an advisor, or an online resource, and be proactive in making your decisions. One of the things that people have said for many years now is millennials don't buy any life insurance. And that's been relatively true, but now those millennials are starting to reach the age where they're buying homes, they're having kids, they're starting businesses, they're having all of the life-changing events that the rest of us have had many years ago. So they're now coming into the insurance markets and the financial markets and they just need the education to make sure that they're making appropriate decisions. And that, that's what's important. Educate yourselves to make the decisions. Well, I, I'm a big believer that in today's society, we've got social media and we've got all these things going on. And it always looks like other people are happier or living more perfect lives there than we are. And I think, you know, I, one, my key message to everyone is that it's okay just to be you just the way you are. There's so many people striving to change themselves or wanting to be more like someone or look more like someone or be more like someone or have more, more money like someone. And actually, the important thing, I think, and the thing that actually sets you free so that you can really reach your true potential and start living that dream that you want to have is actually to accept that we all have faults. We all have weaknesses. And you have two options. Either you identify those and you work out a plan to improve them or if, like with me and cooking, we know that's not a viable option, then you just find another way to do it. You accept it and you find another way to do it. You know, so so I think just learning to accept and learning to love yourself and who you are, and it's okay just to be you, just the way you are, that's my message. And I think for everybody, just to have a think about that and just to think about the things they love about themselves and embrace those and spend more time focusing on that than the things that we don't like so much. I think that's a really good place to be. Well, I, w I want to give, um, really, the big one would be know your numbers. And if there's a template or if you need one for, for the for the website, a template to do those basic financial spreadsheets. I believe everybody should once a month know where they stand when it comes to their income statement, their balance sheet. And it's a way we keep score. It's a way we know if we're moving in the right direction or moving away from where we want to be and need to adjust. So know your numbers is one difference making tip. And then another is spend a little time thinking about that inside game of money. And one thing we can do if you're okay with it, George, is I have a money type quiz to where we can explore 
what are those archetypes or money types that are showing up in your life and maybe dig into why they may be helping you or hurting you. And that's at bohenderson.com. And you'll see money type quiz right there on the homepage. Um, I would say the most, the thing that I would, I, I mean, I would, I would look at it in a, in a way where I would say to people, you know, whatever kind of investment you have, understand it, understand why you have it, why you own it and what it does. And if you don't truly understand it and, and importantly understand the cost of that investment, then you really have to, you know, revisit what's, what's going on here. So, you know, understanding what you own and why you own it is a really good start for most people. Hire an RMA. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Very self-serving, but I know what I'm talking to. I eat my own cooking here. To say it's, it's one of my favorite quotes that I live by, and it's something that just keeps me motivated. Um, and essentially, essentially, it's don't fear failure, fear regret. And I think so many people are so scared to start certain things because they're scared that they're going to fail. That could be something as simple as you know, getting your finances together, starting a business, or doing whatever. Um, and my biggest fear in life is, is to, to have a life full of um, full of regret. So, my, my challenge, my, I challenge everyone to just don't fear failure, fear regret. The difference-making tip is this. Retirement is going to last longer, be less predictable, and people are coming into it with more debt than ever before. Traditional tools may not be enough to ensure that you have the best retirement. And by you, I mean either you personally or it could be your parents because there will be some children listening who have parents who are of age. So the tip is incorporate housing wealth into the conversations that you're having with yourself, with your advisor, with your parents. Incorporate housing wealth and just simply say to them, do my parents or do I currently own my home? And was it does it make sense for me to learn how to incorporate my biggest asset in order for me to have my best retirement? And then when you do that, you can simply go to housingwealth.net. There's a calculator there. Or, George, I wrote a book. I don't know if I could talk about it, but um, you can go to housingwealthbook.com, housingwealthbook.com, and just simply read the book. It's written for um, my – I'm Kentucky Simple, as I said, so I don't use the advanced calculus in the big words. I, I just try to keep it simple. But it's a very practical tool that unpacks all the strategies that we won't cover here on this broadcast, but I think it's very important. So one of those two ways, housingwealthbook.com or just housingwealth.net to learn more. That's my, that's my Money Savage tip right now. It's don't ignore your housing wealth. Yes, yeah, so I guess my difference-making tip would sort of be you know, similar to what I um, mentioned earlier, just this idea that you know, when you're deciding what investment to make, whether to purchase an asset, um, try to think about the fundamental value. Think about, is this actually a good investment? You know, would I be buying it at this price or should I be buying it at this price? And not necessarily think about what past return trends have been in the stock. Um, that can be very difficult to do sort of those technical analysis. And I think at least more logical to me would be sort of thinking about, you know, what's the fundamental of this company? Is it a good buy at this price? Um, and it also sort of write down, you know, if nothing changes, what should I, what price would I buy at and what price would I sell at? And then sort of stick to those things. We know there's a lot of behavioral biases that opinions can change over time. 
And so if you sort of write down what you think the fundamental value is, and if nothing um, important changes in terms of the information structure regarding the asset, then sort of stick to what you wrote down initially. That would sort of be my advice. You know, my big advice is success begins with awareness. So take the time to think about and prepare for the unpredictabilities in life. Think about what you can do and what could possibly trip you up in retirement. But create the awareness, right? Create the awareness so that you can actually have deeper conversation and you can hopefully enjoy your wealth and the opportunities to help others more. Okay. Well, uh, we've talked about some of them already, and it's... uh... The, the key thing is asking the right questions, and um, and there are a lot of them, so I don't want to get into uh, you know all the questions to ask, but maybe one way to illustrate it is just to give an example of a woman that I recently talked to. She co-signed for up to $135,000 in loans for her daughter, who barely qualified to get into a popular Uh, but it was expensive, school that her daughter wanted to go to with her friends. Mm. Well, without identifying the criteria that the school used to accept students and learning that she barely got there, um, she dropped out in two years and is back home living with her parents. And she's one of 15 million millennials who are doing that. And with no degree, she hasn't been able to find a job to pay off her loan, so her mother has now accepted, well, has no choice, because she co-signed for 135000 in student loan debt. Yikes. And, and so it, it comes down to um, asking those right questions and learning what to look for. Now, just a few of them, if you want to just have a, a couple of the the key criteria to look for, the financial security of the school. That has become such a critical point as over 100,000 students who went to um, ITT technical or Corinthian colleges learned, they now have a degree that is essentially worthless. And, um, but they could also ask the average time it takes students to graduate. That's a good indicator. If it takes the average student five to six years to graduate, that may not be a school that that student should go to, or they're going to pay thousands more than necessary. And we could go on and on. But, um, I think, uh, also one other key question to ask, and it's one most parents don't know to ask is that it's has a strange name, but it's called the three-year cohort rate. And that's a term the Department of Education put on it. What it basically means is once those students graduate, will they get a job earning enough to be able to repay their loans? And that's a good indicator of, okay, how's the school doing in providing the kind of education a student is going to need to be qualified to get into the job market? And if that school's cohort rate gets too high, the Department of Labor, I mean, Department of Education could shut them down like they did with Corinthian Colleges and ITT Technical last year. And if that happens, then um, their degree is worthless. 
So again, asking those questions is probably the most important uh, step that students can take. The, the issue is they need to know where to go to get the right answers. And that's what's not out there today. Understand beta market environments and adjust trading strategy accordingly. I got a big one, George, and it's not <laughs> going to be any surprise to you. When you get the opportunity to sit down and talk with your financial advisor, ask them if they're if they if they operate in a fiduciary um, manner. Ask them if they uh, are a fiduciary on your on your account. And if you haven't spoken with your advisor um, in the past six months, especially with all the changes that have occurred in the market over the past six months, um, you should really call them today and ask if they operate as a fiduciary well my difference making tip is going to be to build something for yourself whether it be a side business whether it be you know work on an ebook whether it be anything you know that you can leave your name to that's going to help put you in a better spot in your future for your retirement that's what you need to work toward so for me, like the device, the diversified income strategy, that's huge for me. So being able to not have to depend on one source of income alone and being able to do that through the side businesses has been a real blessing. So I think that is probably the, the big bit of advice that I would give is, is to look at starting to diversify income today, whether it's a, a big amount tomorrow or not doesn't matter because it's not what you do today and tomorrow that matters. It's what you do today, tomorrow, and the next 20 years that's going to matter. So it's those daily habits that are going to add up to help put you in a better financial situation and maybe emotional and, you know, relationship-wise as well. Well, you know, there are the the, the, the top 10 uh, that I would could give them that are all so clearly defined that if I had to give them a tip, it would be make doggone sure that you know those top 10 because I think if you learn those top 10 and I write about them, I podcast about them, I, I, I do, I do uh, videos about them to, to help educate people and I'm not selling anything. There are no advertisements on my website. It's all about educating people. But if you will learn 10 important forks in the road, I don't think I can give you a better tip than that. Now, would I have somebody read something besides my material? Oh, but of course. I mean, if, if you really want to dig, read everything Larry Swedrow writes. Larry Swedrow is one of the brightest people in our, in, our, in our business. I feel the same way about Jason Zweig. I feel the same way about John Bogle. Read his little book of common sense investing. But the bottom line is, make sure you can make the list of what those 10 things are. And then you ask yourself, well, am I doing this? Is there any way I could do this? Does this make sense not only for me, but for my children and my children? We could be changing for generations, how families act and investors act. If we can just get to the people who are going to be the future parents and grandparents, that's what my goal is. Well, that is and cool. before I die, by the way, George, <laughs> I got to do this before I die. I got to hurry. <laughs> 
Well, I guess it's to create a process to communicate effectively with your loved ones and your community and create that time, space and intention to actively listen and share experiences. I think sharing your stories helps others gain insight, you know, and understanding. And if you have a problem uh, with really connecting to listening, learn to listen, really engage. Um, and I, I just want to one of my favorite quotes, uh, Max Dupree said, we cannot become what we need to be by remaining what we are. And, and, and I, I think it's just so powerful today. We're, we're all kind of on this continuum. And just because, the, you know, what we were as children, what we were as teenagers, what we were as, you know, in our 20s and 30s, whatever, uh, we, we, we might need to be something different next. So we need to be constantly growing and thinking about what skills, habits, abilities uh, and attitudes do we need to, to bring us into, the, into each successive stage? But we want to do it openly and joyfully. Well, I, I hate to be boring and repetitive, but I, I honestly think if people are going to take one thing away from this, it's you can't invest your way out of a savings problem. It's, it's, it, it, it makes sense. It's, it's good advice. It's something I heard a long time ago, uh, both as an individual trying to save for my own retirement, as well as a practitioner in the business. And I think a lot of people, unfortunately, spend a lot of energy on what can they be investing in? What strategy can they find that you know will provide them with the best rate of return when maybe if they could reappropriate some of that energy to figuring out how to save more, figuring out how to create a budget, live within their means, whatever the case is, I think that energy would go a lot farther than, you know, trying to find the next great investment. So again, I'm going to use Epictetus. He tells us um, anything that we're fond of or anything that we, we really care about, we should remind ourselves what it really is. So I think we should do this with money. And when we have it, when we don't have it, we should remind ourselves that it's not something that really carries intrinsic value. It's just good for other things. And that way it won't have the kind of control that it does over us and we'll be able to use it much more wisely. Yeah, so one of the difference-making tips I'm going to tell you about is uh, kind of tied to two things, but it's really just tax efficiency planning. That's one of the next frontiers for financial advisors uh, and consumers, which is Roth conversions, using defined benefit plans. Both of them have been substantially increased uh, in kind of their tax planning value under the new tax law changes. So doing conversions strategically to Roth over the next couple of years and actually saving for small business owners and DB plans. Uh, that's going to be a hugely powerful tool for, yeah, at least through 2025. That's going to be really beneficial. So I'd say both of those things, big difference makers. I would say if you are trying to get healthier and wealthier, then setting a budget, if you have not done one, is a great idea. Whether you use one that's out there already, uh, mine or somebody else's, there are plentiful um, amount of them out there on the internet. And a lot of them are free, or you can create your own, whatever works best for you. Uh, I think that's a it's a good way for you to just take a snapshot look if you've done it for a couple of months of your finances and what you really have going on. Uh, if you haven't done it, I think you'd be surprised, especially with the food. A lot of people think they're doing really good with their food budget, and then once they start actually keeping a budget and logging everything, and I mean every penny, everything, 
you'll actually see what you're spending. And most of the time, it's surprising how much you're spending on stuff that you aren't necessarily eating or you're throwing away. Um, So I think that's a good place to start. I think, um, well, we already talked about getting people involved. I think for me, the biggest tip that worked, uh, that helped me uh, survive and thrive was to stop ignoring (laughs) my finances, to start paying (laughs) attention. And uh, once I stopped throwing out, you know, my obligations that came in the mail and different things and trying to ignore it because that was the only way I was going to stay happy. Um, and facing up to my responsibilities. Um, you know, that's when I really became an adult (laughs) when it comes to my money and, and started focusing on what I needed to do to improve. And once I did that, I knew I was in a better position. And I think that's the case for a lot of people, uh, just start paying attention. (laughs) Sure. So social proof is the most dangerous concept. Social proof says that in the absence of certainty, human beings will just look around, see what everyone else is doing and do that. It's how James Jones got hundreds of people to drink the Kool-Aid in Guyana, right? So if you allow yourself to use social proof as a crutch, if you follow the herd and you do what everyone else is doing because it feels safe, then you are guaranteed to get what everyone else is getting. And if you look around, that outcome is, as you said, suboptimal. So whether it be investing or elsewhere in your life, you know, you're just dooming yourself to end up clustered somewhere around um, average. So what I would encourage you to do is to always, always, always question the conventional wisdom to Always question what you read in the mainstream financial press. Uh, better yet, you know, just ignore it because it's 99% garbage. Uh, find people who are actually getting the results that you want and, and who clearly and demonstrably have a servant heart and figure out how they do what they do. Become a mentee, pay for their training programs, read their books and their blog posts, get a job with them, go hear them speak at conferences, volunteer, whatever it takes. Um, and because I would tell you that everything that I have today, I have because I did that. So this one, it's kind of dorky, George, hmm. but this is something that in all of the folks that I've served, right, regardless of socioeconomic status, regardless of what they're doing, where they're at around the nation, is that the thing that is ultimately the most powerful in the accomplishment of your goals, regardless of if they're financial, you know, wh- whether it's something personal, whatever it might be, is that process is always more important than the outcome. So if you can spend time on a day to day basis on personal development, taking that time for reflection and staying really committed to that time period every single day, staying committed to that process is going to open doors for you that you could have never possibly imagined. So do what you can to stay focused on the process and worry less about the outcome. Okay, so what my um, one piece of advice, and this plays to your last comment, George, is that if you are contemplating a divorce, please start putting together a team of professionals. Um, While your friends and family may mean well by giving you advice, you really need professionals that work in the field of divorce. So that would be your attorney, your financial person, whether it's, I would include both the financial advisor as well as the CPA, a tax advisor, because it's important to understand the tax consequences on your settlement. And then also you definitely need your estate planning attorney, because a lot of times if you're over 50, start talking about 
what that may look like. So develop a team of professionals that become your go-to. What's up, Savage Nation? Please support the show by subscribing, leave us a review, and definitely feel free to share us with somebody you think would like it. Come on!